Before we get started, Dead and Married would like to thank those very close to our Dead Black Hearts, our patrons. Thank you to William Rush, Karima Rhodes, my best friend and fellow Tom Atkins lover, Gary Horton, Carissa. Jonathan says thank you. Dr. Sexy himself, Kent Morton. Oh yeah. Kate Lamp, Travis's cowgirl, Lala Thomas. Hey girl. And last but certainly not least, our friends over at the Podmortem Podcast. You can also check out their very own show every Monday on all major platforms. And now, on with the show. My name is Travis Lewis. I am part of the Dead and Married podcast. To all cinema enforcement entities, this is not an admission of guilt. I am speaking to my family now. Ashley, you are the love of my life. I hope you know that. Aiden, you're my big man. To our fans, there are going to be some things that you'll come to learn about these films in the next few minutes. But just know that no matter how many spoilers there are, we only have you in our hearts. Goodbye. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. I'm Ashley. And... We this, have such sights to show you? you? To Well, they can't see them. <laughs> We're naked. No, no, no. <laughs> Don't scare them like that. No, that is not the sight anybody wants to see. Um, but we are doing Hellraiser 2022. So, Ashley, mm. what is your quick first impression of this film? I love it. <laughs> now, maybe not that quick. I do. I love it. Um, I we're we're gonna spare you the time of going through this film beat by beat. So obviously you've seen it if you're here, and if you haven't seen it yet, I would strongly urge you to get on that immediately. Yeah, because even though we're not doing beat by beat, uh, there's still spoilers. So yes, yes. Enter at your own risk. Absolutely. Um, I just I I, I want to say off the bat, like I, I understand that this film, like so many in this past well month. <laughs> weeks is controversial again because for some reason we can't just have nice things (laughs) we've got to fucking fight about it (laughs) yeah i think my first impression of this film is that i I like it um it's definitely the best hellraiser that we've gotten in a long time i think um i I feel like having clive barker as a producer on this film and contributing creatively uh it helped a lot in my opinion. And you can see more of the elements that came from the Scarlet Gospels in this film than you get to see in the other films as well. Hmm. I don't know about that necessarily. I do appreciate, though, the expansion on the lore and trying to do something different with it that hadn't been done yet. Um, but I want to interject here for a minute, because why are we talking about Hellraiser today? What was your big, bright, genius idea for the month of November? I feel like that's sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we always do, we've been doing theme months, right? And but we, when we do it, we always stick with like a franchise. So we're going to do summer camp, and we're going to do I don't know uh, Friday the Thirteenth for the next fourteen months until we're both <laughs> burned out on doing Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> Um, which it wasn't, it was like two and a half months, but this month, since it's November and nobody wants to hear us talk about Thanksgiving, we decided to do movies that we're thankful for. Yes. And you got first pick. I did. And I chose Hellraiser because like you kind of just glossed over. You got first pick because I'm garbage at rock, paper, scissors. That's why you got first pick. (laughs) No, no, but I'm thankful for the fact that we have a good Hellraiser film again, finally, because I am an apologist for this series. I will defend almost and every entry in some way. Yes, Revelations included. Um, I think the only one I do not give any credit to is Hellworld. <laughs> oh, that movie is just garbage. <laughs> and for everybody out there going, what? How are you putting Revelations above Hellworld? I will say that that is because despite its many, many, and there are many flaws, at least it got back to being an actual Hellraiser film. I think my my question to any who asks that question would be, have you seen Hellworld? Oh my God. Because having said that, I'm probably more familiar with Hellraiser and the franchise than any other that we've done so far. Right. Just because I've watched, at the very least, the first one and the third one so many times with you. And yeah, I feel like I know them pretty well for the most part. The only bright light that I can give Hellworld apart from Doug Bradley is Henry Cavill. And that's about it. (laughs) It was amusing to see him in one of his first roles. But other than that, I cannot defend the movie. not Superman. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe not to you. not Superman in that movie. (laughs) But at any rate, I can find at least one redeeming quality in each entry. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I can. (laughs) 
but even though I've seen them a lot, I don't. It's not. It's not going to be my favorite franchise. It's just not. But a lot of that disappointment for me comes from having read. Uh, I did read what the first book, um, the Hellbound, Hellbound Heart. Heart, and I read Scarlet Gospels. Mm-hmm. And once Clive Barker, he built a world in those novels or short stories or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot. In kind of the same way that Stephen King built an entire world in the Tower series. Uh, I'm not comparing the two of them as authors. I'm just saying they constructed a massive universe for these characters to inhabit. Both of them did. And the movies just don't measure up to the scale or the scope. Well, some of that has to do with budget restrictions. No, it does. If you were really going to do it, you would have to give it like a Lord of the Rings or a Harry Potter type budget and do multiple entries. And there's just not a studio out there that's probably going to do that. But I think that's where a lot of my disappointment in the films come from. I I know that there's there was probably, myself included, some trepidation with, oh, it's going to Hulu. That's great. So... I will say that I feel like Hulu's kind of stepping their shit up this year. Uh, it started with Fresh. I think that that was a very, very underrated movie. And I thoroughly enjoyed the shit out of it. And then, of course, Prey exceeded everybody's expectations. So I feel like Hulu's kind of, they're kind of stepping their game up a little bit as far as content goes. Yeah, because a lot of the times when movies go straight to streaming, like when they're not willing to even make the investment into going straight to video, <laughs> you know, yeah. like we don't even want to make DVDs of this because it may really suck that bad. So here's a digital copy. We can show it on Netflix or whatever. Um, Which sucks because I'd really I, like to have the dirt on DVD. <laughs> Yeah, but they've they've done pretty well. Honestly, I've been impressed with the quality. I think so. But I was I saw a meme about this earlier, or not a meme. I was it was an article on on IMDb about since Hulu is owned by Disney now. Does that make the Hell Priest are a Disney princess now? Could be because I'm here for it, hundred (laughs) percent. It could be. It's an interesting way to look at you it. Just get one of those baby blankets that's got your jasmine and your bell and, and pinhead. And then pinhead. <laughs> Since she's kind of, for all intents and purposes, a hell priestess now. So, I mean, yes and no, but. Well, if you want to get technical, in the novels, the hell priests are sort of androgynous. Yes. They're really, they're neither male nor female. Their identifying genitalia have been removed and. Pinhead in the book is described as having a feminine voice. Yes. So, so you can always see a casual Hellraiser fan from a diehard <laughs> like myself because I've already seen more than one review calling it woke. And it's like, bro, did you even read the books? <laughs> Am I the only one that did the reading? Yes. Because you would know then that Cenobites essentially have no gender. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you want to get technical, Jamie, what was the last name? Clayton. Jamie Clayton fits the bill at, at closer, a lot closer to the novelized Pinhead than anything that we've gotten so far. And that's no no shade on Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley is amazing. No, he is, it is, as far as I am concerned, he is Pinhead. But There's you, no replacing him. But if you want to get accurate to the book, she is the closest we've come so far. Yes. The reason Doug Bradley was cast to begin with is because he was a friend of Clive Barker's. It was a very very small budget and he put his friends in there to and he's take got a these parts. Badass voice. He is a badass all consuming regal thing about him. Like he commands an audience just with his very presence. And I like I said, there's no ever ever replacing him. Um but I feel like with what they were doing with this film, trying to make it their own, they absolutely succeeded. I mean, even in just the look of the Hell Priest and the other Cenobites alone, because not only was he androgynous, but the look of them as they were described fit more to the bill too, because they were jeweled pins on her head as described in the book. They were not nails. They were not regular straight pins. They were jeweled. And if you look at the ones on her head and the other Cenobites that have them in their throat and various other places, it almost looks like there's pearls yeah, on that, top. And so that's, that's what I was going to say before when I felt like it was more accurate to the book in a couple of ways. The first one being that they're essentially sexless Mm -hmm. and the jeweled pins. And the other one is none of them really show any emotion of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's more than one Hellraiser movie where you see it and like Pinhead gets kind of pissed. But in the books, they don't. They're no. very level. No. 
And like, they know they've got all the cards in the books. You know what I mean? Like they, if, when they're in the human realm, they can do whatever they want, essentially within the rules of their organization. Mm-hmm. And they know that they don't get stressed out. They don't get pissed off. There's no reason for them to, they're going to get you and they know it. Right. And that really comes through in this one. There's something extremely ominous about Pinhead in this mm-hmm. in that nothing seems to bother her. She doesn't get worked up. She doesn't get perturbed because I'm going to get you. Right. It's just a matter of time. And that's foreboding. One of my favorite en- entries in the original um, franchise is Hell on Earth. I know that, that a lot of people don't feel that way. But I absolutely loved when they made Pinhead the star of the show. That being said, he chewed the scenery a lot, admittedly. He did ham it up a lot. But I feel like without that, we wouldn't have scenes like the Black Mass that were just wonderful. But Clive Barker's notes for him in that original film, every time he would go to read a line was do less, do less, do less, because he wanted that to be conveyed, that there's absolutely nothing behind the eyes. No, and I feel like um, they've had black eyes in all the other ones. I feel like the contact lenses... These are cool. Or whatever that they used in this, they were really good. I don't know how accurate they are to the book because I don't know that it talked about that so no, much. No, it didn't. Um, but I, I really like the look that they had. And as far as the attire goes, or lack thereof, because essentially they were all naked, um, the way they used the flesh of their body and kind of sculpted it and pinned it in place, I don't know that I really cared for that that mm-hmm. much because mm-hmm. some of it seemed a little too intricate. Um, if they had gone, cause the, the hell priest in the book, they did have clothes. Um, uh, but I don't really remember how they were described. I feel like if they had kind of gone some middle ground, you know, it's halfway pinned skin and halfway Judas priest. I think I could have been happy with that. <laughs> I will say went, that I missed the leather. They went full Judas priest in all the other movies. Um, but I think there probably could have been some middle ground or maybe just simplified a little bit because some of them were way Whoa, out there. Yeah. I, it was, it was almost like, let's, how crazy can we go with it? Yeah. Um, and it was cool, but sometimes there was one Cenobite. Clive Barker says do less. Yeah, there was one Cenobite that, in particular, and I can't remember what the name of the Cenobite is, but he has skin stretched over his face where he can't breathe, and it reminded me of the nurses in Silent Hill. Yes, a little bit. Yes, a lot. A lot of it felt very Silent Hill. It did. Um, and then there was another one. Uh, I want to say it was it was the black Cenobite, mm-hmm. but when you see it in the light, it was it wasn't really. It's like this weird pearlescent gray. He, he was a weird color, yeah. Yeah. Um, his was interesting the way the arms split, mm-hmm. and it was neat. But again, I. I don't know. I feel like a little bit less would have still been okay. So to me, he was like the scariest new addition that they had. I thought that one was creepy as fuck. But I I don't, they didn't necessarily register as demons to me. They felt more alien almost. Is, is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I would say that's that's probably good. And there were a lot, we got a lot more new ones. We still got the Chatterer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got one called the Gasp. Mm-hmm. Um, really the only other one to speak was the gasp. Um, and her skin was like pulled back. It was, it was hard. It's hard to describe. It reminded me. Okay. If, if it was you, almost like a nun's habit. If you guys are familiar with the franchise, she reminded me of Angelique's look in Bloodline, where it was the same thing where the skin was peeled from her skull and attached to her shoulders, very much looking like a nun's habit. So that's, yeah. that's what she reminded her, me her of. Her throat, the skin on her throat had been opened up. Right, like and when she talked, you could see it mm-hmm. uh, move down there, which was interesting. We did get a lot of new Cenobites, but we didn't get a lot of action out of them. A lot of, they were just kind of walking around. The one you talked about with the skin stretched over the face actually did run and chase someone, which yes. I thought was an interesting choice. Yes. Um, the idea that a Cenobite would actually have to chase someone seems a little, eh, mm, because yes. they typically don't. Normally, they do the Jason Voorhees teleport, and they're just there, and you're just fucked, and that's just how it is. Right. But Pinhead never did that. No. So, and the other ones, they kind of like followed along, like the Gasp at one point follows another character through the house. And I I know we'll talk about that later, but the fact that they were following them on foot, I found strange. Because in other films, the only time you ever see them walking is when they're entering the scene. Once they enter the scene, they're pretty much static, but not in this one. It felt like you you see them moving around a lot more. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. 
because usually, yeah, I mean, like the chatterer shows up because he walks around the corner and then he just stands there while Pinhead delivers a monologue. And that's what I'm used to. Um, but they were a lot more mobile. But the fact that the one actually runs, I found interesting. They did. They did some things that I was very much not used to. But this is not a complaint at all. In fact, there were a couple of things that they did that I'm not used to that were actually really cool. Like um, you were talking about um, the one Cenobite chasing. But then the chatterer, was it just me or was that dude like fucking seven feet tall this time? So I did notice that in this, that they were all bigger, right? Because in the in the previous editions or previous entries, they were all human sized, like normal, right? They were normal sized people. Mm-hmm. But the chatterer was fucking big. Yeah, he seemed like a monster in this one. And, and like he had strength. Yeah, very strong. And the one that did the chasing um, also seemed larger than normal, like well over six feet. Mm-hmm. Easily taller than the, the love interest uh, that, that we'll talk about at some point. But they were... Yeah, yeah, probably a good seven feet tall. Yeah, way larger than I than we're used to. Yeah, again, not a complaint. It's just no. it was a different choice. Yes, and and maybe like the way the chatterer moved and the strength that he displays in uh, in the movie. I don't know. Almost gave me pyramid head vibes from Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. Just a big, powerful, sort of lumbering character. So I don't, know. I don't yeah. know. It was it was just a different take, and it wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah. That that that's my thing overall. Is do I miss the old look? Sure, I do. Um, they they had a lot more money this time than Clive Barker did. So they were able to do more with it and um, be a lot more intricate in their design. But like you said, I think they could have scaled back just a hair on it because this film is also very dark. So in the dark is, is the way it's lit. You can't make out every finer detail that makes them up. So they could have scaled a little bit back on it. But overall, I, again, appreciate that this is a different take. This is somebody else's interpretation. And if that's the way they want him to look, then cool. I'm happy with it. Okay, so I know that we are not going to go beat for beat on this, but I kind of feel like, and I know you agree, that we need to give a little extra time to the big opening of this movie and the end of this movie. Yes. So the opening is in Serbia. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And we see a woman approaching a man, and she's buying the box. Now, this part is sort of a departure from what we've seen, what we saw in the first film, right? Yes. Or at least in the book, because in that one, Frank had to actually earn that box. Yes. He didn't just show up and buy it necessarily. Well, he, I mean, did. he did. But there was work that had to be done after the fact, I suppose. Right. Well, in this one, a, a woman is buying a box on behalf of her employer, where as Frank, he had done all of his homework like he had he had heard this and then he traveled around the world finally ending up in Morocco to procure the box and then he had it was a, a ritual basically that he had to do even though it wasn't as simple as I've got the box now I'm going to sit and open it there were things he had to go through like for instance collecting an entire month's worth of urine in a jar having a decapitated dove heads you know he he had to have all these offerings and stuff in order to even be able to open the box so i feel like i still would like to see that avenue discovered because even in the original hellraiser that was glossed over we just have frank buying the box and then sitting in a room and opening it you know just just once i would love to see the lead up to that. Yeah. Now, this is the first time I think that we've seen someone purchasing the box on behalf of another person. Yes. Right. Well, I say that. So in the first one, obviously he had his thing that he had to go through the second film. It wasn't. And there are several films where they just find it like some kind of fucked up Easter egg mm-hmm. that's laying on the ground somewhere. But I don't know. It felt different seeing this woman as a purchasing agent for yes. someone, I think. I don't know why that seemed weird, but it just seemed off a little bit. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it was it was definitely a different way to open it. Yes. But we go straight from there to a party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll let you talk this. And this is one of your favorite parts. So... <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that everybody will agree with me, but I loved the opening of this film. I felt like it was very, very, very strong, like two levels of the first one strong. And I, I know I'm going to get some hate for that. But the fact, you know, when we have this, this and I'm, I'm guessing he's a sex worker, they allude to it. He is curious you know he sees the box in this guy's big mansion and he and uh, guys again i'm just glossing over this if you've seen the film you know exactly what i'm talking about but he meets our our i guess our main antagonist roland voigt who's like a tony stark (laughs) just not you know he's very rich powerful collector guy 
Yeah, and I, I really wish that he had given us the tour because he had a lot of a lot of neat looking stuff in his little collection there mm-hmm. sitting on pedestals around the room. It would have been neat to get some background. Like, were they related to the box? Was that part of his search? And he found these other items? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm curious about the background shit. But the scene we get where the kid, you know, because Roland is set up as creepy from Jump, I feel like. And he was played very well by that actor. I actually wish we would have gotten more time with the character of Roland. Um, but when he asks him, do I get a prize if I solve it? And he says, I do. And then he smiles at him very creepily. I was already, I, I was invested from the beginning. And then upon opening it and they have, they introduce a new thing where there are spikes or knives that come out of the box and stab the person who opens it. I thought that was a really cool addition. Yeah. Because once they like just... Just solving a portion of the box because this box has multiple stages. You don't just solve it the one time, you know, mash the button in the middle, twist it and whatever. It's not a bop it anymore. You've got to. <laughs> it felt like a bop it. I This little, one to me more bit, so felt like a bop it. But like it's got multiple configurations and these configurations relate to specific rewards that you can get at the end. Yeah, right? they're called twist it, pull it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't twist it. Twist the stick. Um, but I, I just, I thought that was was interesting that they did that. It has multiple iterations or whatever. And, right. But it's, it's when it stabs you and it draws blood, that's when you're marked, sort of. Like, you can... At some point later in the movie, our our main protagonist, she solves it, but misses getting stabbed. Mm-hmm. And so they know she solved it, but they can't take her yet, right? She They tell her she's got to find somebody. But it seems like, and this is where you really see it, is when it stabs you, it, it sucks their blood into the box mm-hmm. or into whatever shape it happens to be in at that in its phase. I thought that was a cool callback because it's very reminiscent of... Uh, Larry's blood getting sucked into the floor or JB's blood in part three getting sucked into the pillar. Um, Right. So I thought that but was that a neat... sort of marks them as mm-hmm. the sacrifice uh, to get to the next stage. I mean, you got to bleed a little bit to get to World Eight on Mario. <laughs> so that's I thought it was interesting that they they introduced that. Which there was another uh, what other movie was it where the bl- the box had a blade in it and it would pop out and cut you? Like there was another one where it had a little thing and it it did that, but it wasn't the same type of deal. It, it was a thing in Hell World, unfortunately, where. God damn! Why do I remember that then? <laughs> Kid was had, was holding the box, and then it had like these little needles that popped out of the circle figure on the top and stabbed him through the thumb, and that's how he got drugged to hallucinate all the stuff. Ah, uh, okay. So, but speaking of hallucinations, with this one, it's kind of the same thing. Once you get stabbed, you're tripping balls. Yeah, yeah. They seem like they're stoned or 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 something, but a thir- the reason to me this beginning was so effective was clearly dependent on two things the actor's performance and the sound design because that guy and i had never seen him in anything else he was very he had a very interesting look about him to start off with um so i was already intrigued by his character to begin with but the dude acted his ass off because i felt every bit like he was being tortured the dude was just screaming and wailing and everything else it was so believable to me and we don't get to see it. It's in the background. And I know that that's a complaint with some people. And it, for me, at the beginning, the very, very beginning, our first kill, we didn't need it. Now, later, yes, I will say it would have been nice to have had more. But for the first one, I was like, oh shit, because I've seen Hellraiser. I know very well what the fuck is happening to that guy, even though I'm not seeing it. And it's because of the sound design that it felt sick and brutal and very realistic sounding. Yeah, the sound design was great. Um, the chains looked different to me. I And uh, I, maybe it's because they didn't do like the chains flying at the camera angle like they do in every other one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't tell if the chain, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they were CG, which is another thing in this film. I'm sure they used it, but at no point was it so blatant that you're like, I found Waldo. There was uh, a, there were a couple of times, but okay, it, well, it, it's not it. as bad as Don't ruin I, it for me and tell me where they are. It's not, I don't feel like it was as bad as it was in other films, like no. um, little robot guy trying to solve the box in Bloodline. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, it didn't jump out at me. And one of the other things that I found interesting is that the hooks on the ends of the chains didn't look like the hooks that we're necessarily accustomed to. Okay. Because these seem to like punch into the flesh and grab something inside. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. 
Like before, we're used to seeing them like where they're pulling Larry's face apart and it, mm-hmm. it's just a big fucking fish hook. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really get that much of that this time. Gotcha. I don't know. It looked, it, it, the look was different and I appreciated that. But yeah, this opening scene, they were, they're trying to like, we're going to scare you without even showing a drop of blood. Right. And I feel like they did, did a pretty good I job. Thought, I thought it was very powerful. That scene actually stuck with me for a while after I watched it. And I liked the fact that they incorporated the toll or the bell back into it that when the Cenobites show up, you're going to hear that. When they're coming, you can hear the sound of the bell going off. And in the book, that is something that is so fucking ominous. And the same thing in the original film with Frank opening the box and you hear that toll. It just, it's so foreboding and so like you just, you know something bad, really bad is about to fucking happen. And I I adored that they reintroduced that back into the series. Yeah, so at the end of this opening, uh, you see the box transform into... What we're sort of already familiar with as the Leviathan configuration. Lament configuration? No, because it wasn't a box. It was that pyramid thing. Because he stands oh, 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 oh. You're, you're, I was moving on faster no, than no, you. No, no, yeah, you were. <laughs> Sorry. Um, because he's achieved his reward, right? So right. the kid mm-hmm. that's getting killed was the last sacrifice to achieve the final form of the box. Yes. But we don't know what it is. Yeah, but we're he's not. Request, he's demanding an audience. Yeah, we're not aware of what's really happening. But we don't. Yeah. So he got his reward, which is another one because in all the other movies, you had to open the box yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And in this one, you don't. You just have to be in possession of the box. Yes. It seems and, like. Yes and end. no. Because you do have like, for instance, in Hellbound, where Tiffany opens the box. Yes. But he says it's not hands that call us. It's desire. Meaning, yes, she opened the box, but he knows that very well that someone else put her up to that being Chenard. Right. Uh, but that's the, that's the only film that I, where it points that out, isn't it? Yes. Yes, so, to my knowledge. But I found it interesting in this one that he uses other agents to procure and open the box. So, yes. the, you know, he's going to get the final reward, but he's not making any of the sacrifices himself. Right. So six years later, like <laughs> we just jump straight forward to some fucking and a lot of story. <laughs> Like, there's a lot of story <laughs> that happens here. So, basically, we've got what Riley. Right? Yes, Riley's our and main character. She's dating this guy. She's a recovering uh, drug user. Yes. And probably alcoholic. Yes. Um, he apparently is also a recovering user of some substance. and Or so we believe. And we, it's sort of indicated that he may have a criminal background. So she lives with her brother and his boyfriend. And his roommate. And his roommate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's like four people living in this apartment. Um, and the boyfriend has got, because she's what, bartending or something like that? Waitressing, I think. Waitressing. And she's like, well, you know, I get, I don't, I'm not getting enough tips, not making enough money. And he's tired. Of, the brother is tired of paying her part of the rent, I suppose. So he's like on her about getting a job and staying clean and all this other shit. And he's not a totally unlikable no, character. No, 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 no. I actually liked the character of Matt. And the boyfriend. And Colin, he was a likable character, and but the other roommate, I Nora, remember, Nora, she's pretty forgettable. She's kind of just there to die later. Yeah, I will um, agree with that. The boyfriend, I don't remember the boyfriend's name. Colin. Col, no, the boy, the other boyfriend, Riley's boyfriend. Oh, 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 sorry, Trevor. Okay, and that was it. That before we before we move on, I wasn't sure if that was a direct nod or if it was purely coincidental that we've had a couple of names pop up now that past characters have had, and that is the sex worker at the beginning he said that his name was joseph and people called him joey for short so my mind my hellraiser mind went automatically to joseph thorne of inferno and joey of part three but then you have riley's boyfriend named trevor who mayhem played in (laughs) hellraiser six so i i don't know if that was intentional or if that was just a happy accident could go either way the world may never know (laughs) so all right, so she's hard up for money, and the boy, the boy Trevor, he is like, well, you know, I got this thing, and there's some stuff in storage that belongs to rich people, but you're not interested in all that shit. And she's like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm interested in that stuff. So she agrees to go do this illegal thing and break into a storage container, a Connex, and inside that is a safe, and inside the safe is a box, and inside that box is a box. <laughs> and she seems to be immediately attracted to this thing. Yes. So she takes it, and I guess they go get wasted, and she comes back because she's drunk when she comes back has a big blow up with uh, with the brother and so she leaves and goes to get high after she breaks the mirror off her car and i still understand why she got pissed off and broke the mirror off her own car well he kicked her out well so he did but you she- don't go vandalize your own shit <laughs> and there's a and i know that people 
are saying they don't care for her character that much. I don't think that that's fair because I feel like most of the people who have been our main characters throughout this franchise are not likable characters. They're not characters you root for. I mean, who the fuck rooted for Frank? I mean, or Julia or which, you know, I've got a soft spot for Julia, admittedly, but it feels like they're always damaged people in some way, whether or not you know that up front or you don't find it out to the end. There's something fucked up about every person who has ever been our main character. So I think it's more, there's a certain type of person that is attracted to this box. Yes. And they're not necessarily good people. Right. Uh, So And as somebody, as somebody who has had addicts very close to her in her life, I sympathize with the character of Matt because I have been in his place before. I know what he's going through, but I also sympathize with Riley because I know what those addicts are going through. Um, so I did not have a problem with her character. And the the people that I have been around, um, they're not always likable. They're going to argue and fight with you and they're going to be obnoxious and just say and do some of the most shitty things. And so to that end, I think she played the character very well, very believable. So I did not feel like she was unlikable. I felt like she was very real. Yeah. Yeah. None of the people in this film were really terribly likable characters. Colin was good. I liked Colin. Um, I liked Colin and Matt. But for the most part, they're not awesome. And that's nothing, that's not a knock against their acting performance at all. But the characters they played weren't just awesome people that you immediately say, I like this person. Mm -hmm. They were real people. And people people have said, oh, she's not Kirsty or whatever. So first off, Kirsty was not our main character. Kirsty didn't do shit really. For for all intents and purposes, Julia was our main character. That's who we followed. It was her story we were going with. Kirsty was a sideline character. Yes, she ended up fighting off the Cenobites at the end of the film, but she didn't really do anything for the first part of the film except for have some nightmares and worry about her dad, let's be honest. Yeah, Julia did all the work. I mean, I, I yeah, I'm sorry. Kirsty was not our main character, and so I can't compare Riley to her in that way, I guess. Yeah. So after she vandalizes her car, she gets high. And well, she takes some pills. Yeah. Gets well, well, that's what that's what I, where I was going with was I felt like it. We get that struggle with her where she is upset and she has a thing of I know right where, or I know exactly where my pills are and she acts like she wants them but then she's like no I don't want them and she throws them out on the ground and then has that struggle again and then ultimately succumbs to taking the pills and yeah. I liked that about her that we were getting some character development with her yeah. that I don't feel like we had ever seen before. No, not really. So she goes and lays down on the on the merry-go-round and solves this. And this is a really good shot. I yes. know you really liked it where it shows the vertical shot where it looks like she's laying on the sort of the what we think of as the button part sort of of the lament configuration. Yeah, the, the merry-go-round and the shape that it was on very much resembled the top of the lament configuration. Right. Um she kind of passes out and then the brother shows up, but she has solved it to the point where the knife pops out, but it didn't get her. Right. But she is still seeing, she does see a Cenobite anyway. And then says, if not your, you, if not you, then choose. Right. And then that's when Matt shows up. Right. And he gets cut. Yes. So he's trying to help her up, but she's totally out of it. When he goes into the bathroom to get cleaned up, to clean up the, his bloody hand, this is the kill we should have seen. Yes, I agree. But we don't see this kill. No. But we get our first inception shot. Where like the walls start folding open and this is where they come from. And I think that was an awesome addition. Yeah, this was a new thing that I was very, very happy with. I liked that because to me, this film includes elements of not just the original, but also Hellbound and also Hell on Earth. I feel like there's notes of those sprinkled throughout that make for a more satisfying experience. And so the fact that they would introduce the labyrinth into this universe, I thought was very cool. I did. It, it was not something that I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah. I like how they, I don't know, I said something about Transformers earlier, where when the Cenobites are about to show up, any surface can sort of just fold in on itself. Right. Like I said, like kind of like an inception type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, instead of doing like blue light through the walls like they did before. So we're right. going to drag group off. Now, having said that, in the opening sequence, nearly everything inside his mansion was blue lit. And I wondered if that was a nod to the original because they used sort of a similar color. But at any rate. 
So the brother is gone mm -hmm. now. And, and this is pretty much what sets off the rest of our story. Yeah. And it, th this is what sort of launches it into phase two, I guess. Yeah. It's because from this point on, she's basically working to... A, find out what the box is about. Find out what's what's going on, what the story behind this thing is, who, how it came to be, who owned it, how it basically got into her hands. And then the second being, how do I get my brother back? Yeah. And that's, at some point, Pinhead shows up and says something about resurrection. Yes. That she, if she'll sacrifice these people more people right she can get her brother back and that's that's basically the rest of the film until we get to our big climax so we've already discussed the Cenobites. We've kind of more or less glossed over our main players here. Um, so I will say as far as gore, special effects, kills, while we were just saying I do feel like that that opening sequence of us not seeing that kill was very effective. I felt that that was very strong. I do wish we could have seen more throughout because there are a couple of kills in there that are really, really good. Um, like, for instance, Nora's kill later on in the labyrinth. She's basically like, like she gets she gets hooked in every every part that we're used to. But then she's like folded backwards. Well, they get like a chain in each shoulder from the back and a chain in the legs. And then they put like a chain in her stomach. Mm -hmm. So the chain in her stomach is pulling forward and the chains on her her shoulders and legs are pulling back. So there's, she's getting scorpioned, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that one was very effective. Um, is it as brutal as we've had in the past? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But again, between the sound design and the dialogue with Pinhead, I, it, to me, it was a very effective scene. And that actress brought it. She did. A, I feel like she was good in that scene. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And then I will say as far as another kill that just stood out would be Trevor's demise at the end of the film. I liked the look of him getting degloved. I thought that was really cool because I hadn't seen anything like that apart from Gerald's game, maybe. So I thought that was really cool. Um, I will say that there's a couple of injuries that are sustained in the movie that I don't feel like the characters could have lived through. <laughs> Um, as someone in phlebotomy, I don't think that you could chomp somebody's entire medial cub cubital out and live through that because there's very important artery that runs through there. So I found that to be a little bit far-fetched. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you explained that because like he got bit there and like, and, and the, I know that the first time I watched it, I was like, why is he just got bit on the arm? What the fuck is wrong with this guy? Um, I didn't realize there was, there's apparently some important stuff there. Yes. So he was bleeding out. Yes. Essentially. And then Colin's, uh, well, I don't want to say kill because he, he didn't get killed, but the razor wire going through his arms, same thing. Your arteries run through there. So I don't know how he didn't bleed out from that injury. Because he had multiple wires wrapped around each arm. Yes. So it would, he would have been lacerated in several places. Yeah, I, I would have thought so. Not to mention, I mean, I don't know that the torso being wrapped up would cause him to die, but definitely his arms. That was one where I was like, I don't know how this is happening right now. Yeah. So now this all happens inside the house. And this is the first time we get to see the exterior of the house. Yes. And the house was interesting. Like you, we get some quick sort of shots of the interior at the very beginning. But we were greeted with a giant metal, essentially a shark cage over this house. It reminded me the way he set things up. It reminded me a lot of 13 Ghosts in that you had these certain cages that were meant to trap the various Cenobites. And then, you know, depending on what switch you flick, they would just like... I don't know the word that I'm looking for. Yeah. So he had like the big metal configure. cage that went over the whole house. It's like he had built sort of the skeleton of a lament configuration almost mm -hmm. around the house and then with moving parts inside. Yeah. So he could compartmentalize the inside to keep them out, which I don't understand how that worked and they don't talk about it. It seems like the chain could just go through the holes in the cage. But Well, he did say that your chains can't get me through here. And I was like, why? Like, yeah, that, that wasn't explained well enough. Like, oh, yeah, yeah chains can go through those bars. I'm so pretty I, sure she can get you through there. I didn't understand what was keeping that from happening. And she seemed totally unconcerned by the cage. She was like, well. <laughs> All for us. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. So we end up finding out that Trevor has been working with Voight this whole time. He set Riley up from the beginning and it was never his 
his intention for her to be the one solving the cube. He, she, she was meant to be fed to it like a first victim, but for ever, whatever reason, she intercepted and got ahead of him. Yeah. So essentially the part that we didn't see, he, he claimed his reward and the reward that he claimed was sensation because there's multiple things that you can liminal. pick at the end. Yeah, that and was called liminal. The reward that he got was not what he expected. I think he thought he was, he was going to get some fucking, but what he got was essentially like a music box thing installed in his chest forcefully. Yeah. I don't know how to like explain that contraption. Dragging his nerves around or something. It was causing him a great deal of pain. Right. So his plan was to get Trevor to sort of get people to this box to sacrifice, get it back to its Frieza's final form <laughs> and summon them again to take it out. Yeah. And but... It- <laughs> What he didn't realize in the disappointment of many of us shoppers is that (laughs) when he gets granted audience again, they're like, yeah, no, we can't give you a refund for that, but we can offer you store credits. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we can we can exchange this for you, give you a gift card, but (laughs) we don't give refunds. And I I laughed out loud (laughs) because I just thought that was ridiculous. And Pinhead's Pinhead's like, you don't like our gift? (laughs) Fuck no. I made it for you myself. (laughs) Yeah. But he gets what he asks for. Yes. And they take it out. And it heals up. And I know you had a kind of an issue with this. Like, why do they heal him up? And I'm kind of wondering, like, why did they heal him up? Because he gets to the end and she was like, well, or Pinhead says... Uh, since I, this one was never for you anyway. Yes. Yeah. What uh, you what you've been looking for this whole time is power, and so for that we offer you the Leviathan configuration. Yeah, and then a chain that would hold, I don't know, like a massive ship anchor comes down from the the Leviathan, I guess, the big pyramid in the sky that has descended over the house, which the house is now inside the maze. When you get sort of an exterior shot. Yeah. I I man, the cinematography. Uh, we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. But man, that that was a really cool shot of. His house being essentially in the middle of the labyrinth. Yeah, but it impales him through the chest that just healed up and hauls him back out mm-hmm. up through the the. So yeah, that was window. my question. Why go through all the effort of healing his body if you're just going to impale him again yeah. seconds later? <laughs> yeah, it seems like a so, poor choice. So like a false and security type of deal? or <laughs> Yeah, he just got punked. Yeah. <laughs> But by this point now, Riley is down to, she needs one more sacrifice. And she did figure out that she, if she stabbed a Cenobite with the, the blade, that they would just take another Cenobite. I thought that was an interesting choice. And, because they took the Chatterer. Right. Because in the past, and I, I know that a lot of people have had minor gripes about that, that you just seem to hold the box out in front of you or twist it a little bit. And then you can make the Cenobites go away. So I thought this was an effective answer to that. And that, no, you can legit kill the Cenobites. Yeah. Well, so, they will kill their own. Yeah. They and don't, they give no fucks. That was kind of fucked up. And the thing that I found a little amusing is I know you said that uh, Pinhead doesn't really emote, but there did seem to be just the, a twinkle of something whenever she stabbed the chatterer that she kind of had that, you little bitch. You sort know? of almost a smirk. Yeah. like Cheeky bastard. Yeah. I, I felt um, like that came through a little bit. <laughs> and then, yeah, the chatterer is chained up and pulled apart, which I was like, whoa, well, I did not see. See that chatterer took it like a man though yeah just like all right i'm here let's do it but she needed one more sacrifice and the gasp uh the one that looks like the flying nun <laughs> is has got uh i can't remember his name now the boyfriend um trevor the wire no the wires he's got the wire oh, colin colin she's got colin there's more than one boyfriend <laughs> so she goes down there and she's like no not him and the gas says we'll choose another so she stabs trevor mm-hmm. and this is where Tre- trevor gets degloved is that yeah. what she said mm-hmm. uh, that is so hard to watch i really hate it when they do that in the movie <laughs> it, it creeps me out a little bit but that's her turn to choose because she has achieved the final formation yeah so and if- she chooses nothing if you're looking at this oh no no no, not not quite yet if you're looking at this thematically trevor is responsible ultimately for her brother's death so she made the in my opinion she made the right choice in choosing him to be the final sacrifice and letting colin live because colin of the group is the most innocent of the group he's done nothing wrong he's done nothing to deserve any of this and 
he's he's suffered quite a bit along with her in that that was his his lover that got taken away from him and um his friends are dying around him and now he's getting tortured for what for nothing technically nina was the most innocent all she did was show up and make tapas (laughs) nora you mean nora yeah and she just got butchered for her trouble yeah i'm just i'm just saying but yeah you she that was the whole reason she was there was just to die yeah uh but yeah so and apparently choosing nothing and then pinhead kind of has a monologue about so you're just choosing to not get rewarded you're choosing a life of regret is what she's so what it said she says you choose the lament configuration and when she looks down she's holding the box Mm -hmm. that was badass yeah i i i think that that was a really cool thing that they added to it is that these configurations each had their own story of what it offered and for the longest time we're going through thinking that riley's going to choose lazarus which is resurrection she's going to bring her brother back but after seeing what voight has gone through she knows that they're it's trick get an axe so well at some point he says they only offer pain yes so i think on some level she knows that even if she chooses lazarus what she gets back is not going to be her brother So she ends up essentially having to live with this for the rest of her life. And I think that that was the right decision because that was a question that was asked. Do you feel like you did the right thing? And she never answers. But I think she did, ultimately. Well, she was going to have to live with what happened no matter what. The difference is she gets to live with it minus all the freaky shit they would have done to her had she chosen something else. Right. So, I mean, it's she lives with one kind of pain instead of that plus. Yeah. Which is all they would have given. Yeah. So then we move to the effective ending of the movie, which I've got to say, and I don't care how fucked up this makes me sound, this was my favorite scene of the movie. This stuck with me, not just hours, it stuck with me days, weeks after I watched it. I think this was the best Cenobite creation Ever. that we've seen. Because you get to see what, the twins, right? Where they go, two guys that get their well, heads Well, you do together. get to see Pinhead's creation at the very beginning of... Um, and then Chenard. And then Chenard. Uh, which Doug Bradley's, uh, we're going to have to cover Hellbound one day. I very much enjoy his creation because one of the things that they did that I thought was really cool was, yes, he's screaming in pain and agony, but you'd get these quick shots of him smiling. And it was just, ah, I'm sorry. I'm a freak. I can't help it. Um, And then Chenard's, we kind of get to see more or less. They stretch the wire over his face and then they stick two pumps in him, you know, pulling out blood but sticking in blue, some blue liquid. And then they stuff something down his mouth. And then once he comes out, which one of my all-time favorite lines in a Hellraiser film was he comes out all cenobited out and he says, and to think I hesitated. One of the great lines. And then then he gets that thing attached, the big penis thing attached to his head. Um, but those, I still feel, were very quick. And then later on, we don't see how any Cenobites are made, period. So I loved that they decided to go this route again and show what that creation process looked like. And the only tiny gripe that I have about it is that I don't feel like he conveyed as much pain as he should have. Because he's kind of laying there, like, groaning and whimpering a little bit. But I would think if you're basically getting flayed, you would be screaming your head off. Yeah, they were peeling him like a grape. Yeah. And they cut his wiener off. <laughs> well, they cut his wiener off. It just, it showed his wiener and then it just kind of drooped and down and disappeared. <laughs> yeah, well, well, they, they, I don't know, they stuffed a pog in there. <laughs> Which is another thing. Is it like all of them where their genitalia were? See, they that was it, another had like thing. like a brass That was another thing in the Hellbound Heart was that it, it described their genitalia as being um, scarred too. Like, yeah. So that that was something else I thought about. Oh, they've never, you know, they've never showed that before. So that was kind of right. cool. Um, it was I, definitely an interesting transformation scene. Yeah. And the way he was laying on the, it was, it was almost like he was crucified. Yes. On that thing. The, but, the operation table, by the time it configures around the way it's supposed to be, it looks looks like wings yeah like angel wings i thought that was a really neat shot and you don't know like is that how he's gonna be like when he's down on the ground i don't i don't know it's it's hard to say or is that just sort of the operating table that they had him on but it was definitely interesting i agree that he didn't convey the amount of pain Mm -hmm. that he should have been in but there's also and and the reason i'm sorry i'm like freaking people out so bad right now i'm sure the reason I thought that it was kind of a neat scene is, yes, he's not screaming in pain, but at the same time, he looks very enthralled with what's going on. Like, he's in this state of just bliss and awe of to what's going on. And yes, it's painful, but he, at the same time, he just seems 
like I don't know. It, it's it's hard well, to describe. He's looking at something above him, and there's a bright light there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But the camera never shows us what he's seeing. Right. So there's something above him, and we don't know what it is. Right. Uh, so, but, well, we can only assume that it was the Leviathan or whatever god this is that's doing this to him, because there's no tools involved. Right. You don't see cutting instruments doing it. It's just it's magic, sort of happening. Like his skin's that's, that's, just being stripped away. That's transforming him into a centibite, which. Pinhead before this even took place said we offer dominance uh, and control over over pain or something like that, mm-hmm. which I thought was was kind of awesome. And then they would also do this close up on one of his eyes where his eye was normal, 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 and then just goes black. Well, well, the black and blue because it's the blue it, ring. Yes, uh, pupil. And I thought that was that was really cool. I like like I said, I can't praise that ending enough because when it was over, I was like, holy. F- Fuck. And now as a result, I can't wait to see what they do next. I hope they keep going. I want to see what happens to this guy after. You know, is he up there in the ranks with our hell priest and the rest of the Cenobites? Or is he, does he have some authority over them now? I, I would like to see where that goes. Is that the end of Riley? Or is she like Kirsty and her story's not quite over yet? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just... I feel like there's so many possibilities and I would like to see what happens next. Yeah, because she at the end, she puts the box down and walks away. She just leaves it there. Right. Um, so we don't know. We, we don't know what the fate of the box is. And this is another one where they say, OK, if, we're, if this is the only one we're going to do, we're going to leave it here. I can be OK with this ending. I think I could, too. Um, but at the same time, it they just left made me it, really excited. They left it wide open for a next one. Yes. And from what I understand, David Bruckner has already addressed the things that he feels like he could have done better and wants to continue like he said he's got ideas already for another couple of films yeah i would not be disappointed if they did another one and i would i would hope that they keep jamie clayton yes as pinhead yeah because i think she did a fantastic job i do too um like i said there there's no way she's going to replace doug bradley she's she's not the best pinhead to ever pinhead but in her take of it i think she was absolutely phenomenal yeah just being different does not make it bad yeah so i i appreciate what both of them brought to the table for that character so special effects um well like i said <laughs> there there was some definite cgi in there um there's a scene where at the beginning when um riley first solves the box and they have the scene where she has like this big circle wound thing on her chest that hooks fly out of it was a little it was a little janky i will i will admit and then when colin gets his hands or arms strung up by the wires that was very obviously cg um so there there were things throughout that i kind of went but again we're not talking about marvel level money here so it did not take me out of the film it didn't bother me to the point where i was like this is ridiculous but the gore that was done practically i think was done very well And while I'm not 100% on the look of the Cenobites, because like, for instance, and this is not me being a sizist or anything at all, I'm just making a note here that um, the actor that they cast to be Frank, uh, his name is Oliver Smith, I believe. That actor was rail thin. And so they could get away with putting all of that latex and makeup over him and then him look normal size after that. Where is some of the Cenobites, because there would be shots of their legs where their legs seemed way thicker than they should have been maybe. And I think that's because they probably like the reason Pinhead in Revelations looks chubby or the who's the character uh, Nico in Revelations. Same thing. He's supposed to be skinless, but he looks pretty beefless or pretty beefy for a skinless guy. So the, it was just little nitpicks like that where I was like, mm, you know, but. um. Well, so the problem with that is that you can't. You can't find a Doug Jones or right. whatever mm-hmm. to play Abe Sapien every time. Right. Um, I don't know. I didn't necessarily have a problem with it. Like, I, it was... I don't. It was just like watching, like the leg shot when it shows him just walking by. Like, there's no, 
brutality going on down there. You think, okay, it's just a barefoot person, you know, walking. I, I don't know. Like I said, I think if they they could get away with all the prosthetics, they could get away with less prosthetics if they incorporated some of the the black leather stuff back in. I don't know. We we already talked about that. I think and they could have simplified that a little bit and, and still been and still been okay. And something that I miss, and again, this is just, well, no, it's not a not a minor nitpick. This is something I I didn't like. As much as I love this film, it's for me, it's too clean. There was something about those original two films that were dirty and grimy and moist and gross that you felt disgusting after washing, watching it. Like you needed to go shower. Like watching Rob Zombie movies. Like watching Frank's resurrection scene. It's just, ah, it makes you get all gross. And Julia carrying little shriveled dead bodies around. And um, in, in um, Hellbound, the guy... Clawing the bugs off of him with a straight razor. Like, okay, that that scene creeps me the hell out. Still, yeah. it still bothers me. Yeah. I hate that scene. There was just something really grimy and gross and very I don't know. But at the same time, there was also something that felt very guerrilla filmmaking about it. Like these guys had a budget and it was super fucking small, and they used what did what did you call it? Two matches and a stick of chewing gum. Right. <laughs> That's how MacGyver builds a nuclear weapon. Right. To create some of the best special effects, practical work I've ever seen in film ever. And this one felt too neat and too clean to me. Very uh, sterile, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. Um, if, if they do make another one, I would say in, in this one, they were really, really conservative with the amount of blood that they showed on screen, the amount of gore. And I'm not a gore hound by any means, but... Oh, no. Don't let him fool you. He's seen Terrifier, too. He's turned. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, they could have given me 15% more gore and it would have been okay. Like they could, they could have turned it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe not to 11, a good seven and a half or eight. And it still would have been okay. Getting one off screen kill was fine. Like I said, I felt that was effective. But doing another one immediately after that, I would not have gone that route. And it's, it's not like, oh my God, I just want to see Matt die. It's not that at all. But he was an important character to the story. It would have been more effective for him to die and for Riley to have seen it i feel like i think that there's something about seeing a primary character or a main character dying on screen that gets the audience more emotionally invested in a film when they just like they ah, and then they're gone you know it's just it's when it's really clean like that i don't know it almost makes the film lose something a little bit mm -hmm. like you get a disconnect there sort of when and you I, don't I see can't it. remember the the lady the the woman the the attorney that worked for Voight did it show her kill or not no it didn't no well i mean they grab her right and then um the gasp which she spoke more than pinhead did Sort of. Um, pulls a pin out of the eye of the, the, the gray Cenobite or mm -hmm. whatever and sticks it in her mouth. Right. And then I think that's all we see. Says, say, like, save your voice, use it for screaming or some shit right. like that, which was pretty creepy. She yeah. had she had some good lines, too. She did. I just, I'm not accustomed to the other Cenobites speaking as much as she did in this film. Mm -hmm. Not bad, just well, different. Well, Deep Throat had a lot of lines in the original, too. Not as much as Pinhead, but she talked quite a bit with him, too, which gave you the idea that she was his second in command maybe right and maybe that's what this one is maybe she's the sort of the number two yeah um she's the Riker to his her her Picard <laughs> however that however that God, shit works nerd. <laughs> yeah so number two the Robin to her Batman <laughs> that's right uh but I don't know. That was a little odd. But I, I don't know. Overall, I still feel really good about this film. So. I do too. As far as like, and we kind of just touched on it a little bit, but um, as far as any iconic lines or dialogue, I don't feel like they resonated as well as the box you opened it, we came, that sort of thing. Like his monologues were everything. That's part of what makes Pinhead so great. She did have some, but I just felt like they did didn't, again, they didn't resonate in the same way that his did. Yeah, but that's that's uh, the writing. That's not anything. Well, that's to what do I was going to say. Actress. I don't. I don't know that, that that's her fault necessarily. Is the writing because when she did get to, I, I had my Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV moment a couple of times. First, whenever she said "explorers in the further further regions of experience," I went ooh ooh ooh, and then of course, you know, to cap off the film, she says the, the iconic line, "We have such sights." 
to show you. And I was not at all bothered by those at all. I'm sure there are some people out there that went, you don't say that, you know, <laughs> but I was not one of those people. I was like, oh, cool. She said the thing. She said the thing. So um, I don't, so I don't feel like her monologues were as great, but she did still have some cool moments. Yeah. I, I don't know though. I, I still think that what Doug Bradley was saying was as important as how he said it Yeah, in those original films. When he got a monologue, it was because it was a pretty awesome line. You know, it was impactful. I don't feel like they gave her those lines. Yeah. I would, I would the writing, the writing for her dialogue just wasn't quite as strong as what Bradley got in some of his films. So in, I, I don't blame the actress for that. Yeah. And speaking of important, <laughs> I just lost the word that you said, integral, whatever. Impactful. Impactful. Yes. There you go. Thank you. Um, the score. We can talk about that. Um, I was extremely happy with what they did with it because they did have their own elements, but they peppered out enough of the OG scores and I picked out stuff from not only part one but I picked out stuff from part two I picked out stuff from part three I even felt like there was one from part six now that I could be wrong in that but one of the um one of the numbers felt very familiar but not from the original three films I picked a wedgie it could have it could have been part four even (laughs) (laughs) so I only had one that I was like "Ooh, ooh, 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 and pointed at the screen and I couldn't even tell you what movie it's from. It's just, it's the one where it's kind of a a quieter. It's from part one. Yeah. Okay. Good. (laughs) So I was waiting and I was like, Oh, Ash, look, they they do the thing. It's the, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you patted me on the head and you gave me a cookie and it was, it was good. (laughs) No, I was, I was very happy with that because it didn't feel like it was fan service. It felt organic to it. It It, worked. It fit in perfectly. So I, I was very, very happy with that. And, um, I am more I'm more of a fan of the score from uh, Hellbound than I am the original. Uh, Hellbound has got some really great numbers in it, and using those, particularly in the scene where Voight is being transformed into a Cenobite, there's part two score over that, and I just it's so fucking effective, and I just I can't say enough good things about it. So I think I think we've reached the end of this bad boy. I think so. So other than tell people watch it. Yes, uh, this is one I absolutely suggest to people. I would say if you're a fan of Hellraiser to watch it, but clearly it's been a lot of the Hellraiser fans that have said not my pinhead or whatever, but So for anybody who's not into who hasn't done Hellraiser at all that might be interested, I'm going to pitch that this would be a good entry level Hellraiser because <laughs> Okay. Because if if it was going to be me and I'm going to say I'm not going to watch Hellraiser, it'd be because I would be worried about what I'm going to see, gore-wise or whatever. So for the more squeamish types, this wouldn't be a bad place to start because it's probably the lightest on blood and guts Mm. one of it is one of the lighter ones maybe maybe i i would say that there's some later entries in the original series are pretty light too. like i don't remember inferno having a lot but it doesn't inferno's not that it's not as good as this one so you're biased (laughs) you are biased i i am i'm sorry i i everybody's been new this is oh craig schaefer this is my series so uh, yeah, but I, this one wouldn't be a bad place to start for somebody that's never, ever watched one before if they're worried about the level of gore and blood and guts and torture porn and leather. Like, because there's really not any leather in this. Like, you're 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 okay there. They didn't raid, like, the Kiss Army store and, <laughs> and make the costumes. So, but yeah, I definitely would watch it. I, I absolutely say watch it. I, I loved the shit out of it. I went into it with extremely low expectations. I was cautiously optimistic was the words that I used because, again, it was going to Hulu and they were having another, which it wasn't the announcement of Jamie Clayton because I was like, oh, cool. They're obviously trying to go more faithful to the book. So I didn't have a problem with that, but it's with her necessarily. But it's, again, back to somebody else playing that character. Can they pull it off? Um, because the last pinhead we got, which was Paul T. Taylor and, uh, Judgment, he wasn't terrible. He just wasn't given a lot to do, I guess. You know, I think 
a lot of the time when they introduce a new a new actor or actress playing a movie monster and people are like well can they be michael myers that's not really what they're thinking that's what they say but that's not what they're thinking they're thinking can james jude courtney be nick castle right can she be doug bradley you're not looking for him to be the character you're looking for him to be the person that you'd like to play that character does that make sense so it's not even fair yeah you're asking this actor to be this actor you're not asking this actor to just do a good job being this villain or whatever yeah and you know much like you as a person at some point in your life you want to be able to retire and not have to work anymore absolutely those actors ought to be given that same freedom too to say you know what i've been playing this character for the last 20 30 40 years i ought to be able to right move I, should on. Be to, I should be able to walk away from this yeah but and th- they're just not physically those same people that's that's a thing that i always get annoyed with is they're like well i want nick castle i want doug bradley i want um oh fuck tony todd like come on guys like <laughs> they're not in their 20s anymore they they can't like if they could just never age and play the character forever sure but that's not realistic well realistically if you continue to cast them when they're 80 years old when that movie comes out you're gonna be like well they're too old to play that part yeah so i don't know people are just not ever gonna be happy with anything it's fine and i have found though that I enjoy horror movies a lot more if I set the bar really, really low. <laughs> and and then I'm never disappointed. But uh yeah, no, I don't know. It's a good take. It's a good take. So I like like I said about Halloween ends or, or well the H forty trilogy in general. I like seeing other people's interpretations on franchises to get something different, get a new perspective. You know, there's there's always more stories to tell. We just have to allow people to tell them, you know. Yeah. And this may well open the door for more Hellraiser. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that they do since they left that door open. I hope they do continue with it. Yeah. And, and I'm even more excited for the series now because HBO. They tend to not who's, put out crap. Yeah, but who's doing that one? Because what's the director? Is this Bruckner? Yeah. Um, and he had done a good job with some other projects prior to this. So. Right. Yeah, you were, you were a fan of The Ritual, yeah. I remember. It's a good movie. Yeah, so... I don't know who's handling the show. Probably I, not him. I feel like I did know at one time, but I've already forgotten. No, it's it's not him. This is somebody else entirely, except for the fact that Clive Barker is. But still, Barker is also a part of that. Yes. So, so a good deal. I'm excited. I'm I'm happy to see where it goes and. I felt like this not only honored the uh, the original series, but I feel like it gave it respect. So whether or not you agree with me, that's that's on you. But I, I for one, was very happy with what we ended up with, and I can't wait to see where it goes next. So on that note, we are going to wrap this up, which I think we already have. Yeah, we've done that. Yeah, we're done. We're done. <laughs> so next week, Travis, why don't you tell us what movie you're thankful for? Terrifier. <laughs> We're going to do Terrifier. And he will tell you why he is thankful for that next week. But or until then. I? I might just smile at you and carry a trash bag around. <laughs> Till next week. Bye, Bye, guys. Bye. What would you do to save the life of a teenage boy? If you subscribe to our Patreon for just 3 to $10 a month, you can get Aiden out of the industrial-sized hamster wheel we use to power our show. <laughs> For that, you'll get access to bonus content and allow me to remove Aiden's handcuffs. He doesn't run worth shit with them on anyway. Also be sure to show your support on our social media pages. You can find us on Twitter as TravisL80 and SpookyMom83. Thank you for your consideration. <laughs>